I want to minister to you a word on doubt. Doubt. D-O-U-B-T. Doubt. 2 Peter 1.4 says this. Whereby we are given exceeding great and precious promises. That by these, by these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now let me tell you, that is the ultimate goal of every Christian. Forget about saving the world, forget about doing miracles, forget about prophesying. Those things are great and wonderful, but you are not going to do those things unless you first are partakers of the divine nature. You got a burden for the world? Get one for yourself. Perfect yourself. Be ye perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay? And when you achieve and grow in God and become more and more like him, the more and more effective you will be in everything else you do as a Christian. So by these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, these exceeding great and precious promises tell us that we can escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. Now, lust is simply an inordinate desire of anything. You know, it could be, you know, women lust for men, men lust for women. It could be a lust of money. It could be a lust of recognition. Uh, you know, anything that you have some kind of imbalance for is a lust. And we can overcome all of these by partaking of the divine nature. So these promises are exceeding great and precious. And throughout our lives, rest assured that the enemy of our souls will fight to put doubt in our mind that these exceeding great and precious promises can be realized. Now, we are in a warfare with the devil, with our flesh, with the world. We're in warfare, but it's a spiritual warfare. Now, how many know that a person's weapons reflect his personality? Put kids in front of a video game, and they are going to have, you know, bazookas and grenades, and they're going to blow up aliens, and they're going to blow up criminals. I mean, I don't have to tell you the sound effect of these video games. It suits the personality of a child. They love, you know, the dynamic, the explosive. Yeah. But now the master criminal, the master destroyer, the master hunter of your soul uses no such weapons. He is subtle. And his weapons are subtle. And one of the most potent weapons that he has, if not the most potent weapon, is doubt. It is the first weapon he used in Eden when he said the most infamous words ever spoken by a living being, he said, Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that to you, Eve? Did you really understand what God said? Uh, 
And because doubt came into the mind of one human being, the entire race fell into sin and fell out of communication with God until the God who loves us had to come and had to save us. And this catastrophe started with a simple doubt. Did God really mean what he said? How many know that the word of God is immutable? How many know the word of God never, ever, ever changes? Never. What was written thousands of years ago through scripture and in scripture is the same today and will forever be because God, God's word reflects his nature. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no change in God. If you can say, well, I remember 38 years ago, God really loved me. He loves you today in spite of you because he doesn't change. And doubt comes to us in only one way. Please get this. Doubt comes to us when the carnal mind tries to understand the things of God. The carnal mind can never, ever, ever understand the things of God. Does the Bible not say that the carnal mind is enmity against God? Does the Bible say that? It does. So then how is the carnal mind ever going to perceive or understand what God is doing when it is the enemy of God? Some of God's greatest leaders went through a battle of doubt. Elijah did. My man, I used to love Elijah. I still do, but I've learned that there's, there's a greater than Elijah. But anyway, he sat under a tree and he says, Oh God, I'm no better than my fathers. Let me die. That's what he said. Jonah the prophet said, Oh God, just kill me and let me die. Paul said, We were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. These are hardly statements of faith. They are statements of doubt. And all of these statements were authored by the carnal mind. You see, doubt isn't unbelief. Unbelief is a steadfast refusal to obey the word of God, to study the word of God, to obey the word. No, I'm just not going to do it. Is that for you? It's not for me. That's unbelief. Doubt is confusion. And the Bible says flat out, God is not the author of confusion. Things of the Spirit must be responded by faith, not by carnal reasoning. The just shall live 
by understanding. No? The just shall live by logic. No? The just shall live by... And if you have to have faith, as soon as you hear the word faith, faith, it means I don't understand. There's no such thing as saying, oh yeah, I understand that and I have faith in that. No, I don't understand it, that's why I need faith in it. So there's no, the two don't mix. Faith and understanding. Now Jesus said the greatest leader before him greatest was John the Baptist. Did he not say that? Those born of women, there has not been one, not a greater than John the Baptist. And I, you know, every once in a while I give that some thought. I go, well, I guess I just don't know something. I don't. I never understood that. Um, but we'll get to it. John the Baptist in John one twenty nine said this. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, but he, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. Now, John did not know Jesus personally. John was in the wilderness all of his life until the day God brought him out. He and Jesus, you know, never had lunch together and talked over the plans of God like Pastor Phil and I do. They did not, but yet he identified Jesus Christ by the Spirit. This is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John 1.32, and John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, meaning by personal acquaintance. I didn't know him. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And he sums it all up in the next verse. And I saw and bear record this is the Son of God. John boldly asserts who Jesus is. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the Son of God. And this is simply a statement of personal identification. There's no doubt in these words that John spoke. Do you, do you sense any hesitation or any doubt? No. Lamb of God, Son of God, take it away. He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost. End of story. He boldly asserts who Jesus is. Now in Matthew eleven seven we see, and as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? I looked up this expression, a reed shaken in the wind. And a reed shaken in the wind is one who goes with the latest spiritual fad of the time. Beloved, every problem 
without exception, every problem in the United States of America is due to the fact that the church of Jesus Christ has become a reed shaken in the wind. Go over here. God's filling teeth with gold. Go over here. People are getting uh, holy laughter and they're laughing. Go over here. People are being levitated. Go over here. People are speaking in tongues and barking like dogs. Now, I'm not mocking those things. God can do anything. But how, the person who goes from place to place to place looking for the spectacular is a child. The best place for you to be on the face of the earth is the place where God puts you and the place where God wants you, regardless of what's happening over there. But in the name of building churches, in the name of filling every pew in the place, the church has become a reed shaken in the wind. If it, put, if it puts people in chairs in the church, it's got to be the right thing to do. Please show me that in the Bible. I understand there was a book written. I love the title. I guess it says it all. Uh, the, uh, the pew controlling the pulpit. And because the pew controls the pulpit in so many cases, the church has become a reed shaken in the wind. I am infuriated, I, I, I cannot find the word, infuriated, filled with wrath, indignation, filled with any evil thing I could think of about the Supreme Court ruling. The recent I heard a pastor say it was the greatest and most succinct expression I ever heard regarding it. He said on June 5th, uh, there were three nations on the earth that experienced terrorist activity. The, con the United States Supreme Court ripped up the Constitution while Nero sang Amazing Grace in South Carolina. Is that powerful? Is it true? Yes, it's true. This is what this nation has come to. Allowing something that God says is abominable and then celebrating it, the White House with its gay colors shining on it. What a great day for the liberation of mankind. What a lot. There's the subtlety that I speak of, okay? That's not liberation. That is bondage to a lust, to an inordinate lust that Jesus Christ will deliver anybody who really wants to be delivered. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Jesus said, what went you out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? John was fearless. John was no reed shaken in the wind. He called the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. That's like walking into the Vatican and looking at the Pope and the Cardinals and the Bishops and say, you brood of vipers. He looked King Herod right in the eye and he said, it's not lawful for you to take your brother's wife as your own wife. John was fearless. 
And he stood for the unchanging, immutable word of God. <clears throat> Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Okay, now we get to Jesus describing John. Jesus says, what went you out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Now, the religious leaders of the day wore soft clothing because they wanted to be equated with government officials who wore soft clothing. The hypocritical brood of vipers called Pharisees wanted to be politically correct and they did not care if they were not scripturally correct. How many know you cannot mix the two? Either you're going to be scripturally correct or you're going to be biblically correct. I'm sorry, scripturally correct or you're going to be politically correct. This house is a house that is biblically correct and I believe will always remain biblically correct as long it is as it is under the type of leadership that it is under. Let them take away the 501c3. Oh, my geez, God can't bless you if you can't take uh, a tax deduction on your offering. God's unable to do that. He owns the whole universe, and yet he can't bless you. You need your 501c3. Get real. <laughs> to choose to be politically correct over scripturally correct is what has happened in this country because it's happened in the churches. <clears throat> so these, they, these men wore soft clothes. They wanted to be held as spiritual leaders the same way the government people were held as political leaders. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits, not by their religious costumes. Any man that needs to wear a religious costume to let you know he's a man of God doesn't have any fruit to show you. <clears throat> For what went you out to see, verse 9, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, Jesus says right here, those born of women, there's never been a greater than John the Baptist. So, wait a minute. Lord, I, I don't understand that. Uh, and I said that about 20 years ago, and it's only recently that God opened it up to me. John, the Bible specifically says, John, in John 10, 41, John did no miracle. God showed Daniel a panorama of human history. God showed, or God used Elijah. This man, Elijah, he called fire down from heaven twice and killed 50 men each time who came to arrest him. This man stood on Mount Carmel in front of 800 priests of Baal. You know the story. And he called fire down from heaven, and the fire of God came down and not only consumed the sacrifice, 
but consumed the stones upon which the sacrifice laid. And when people, the Israelites saw this, they said, Jehovah, the Lord, he is God. And they killed 800 priests of Baal. And in one day, in less than a day, Elijah turns a whole backslidden nation back to God. And if that's not enough, he's taken up into heaven alive. And you're telling me John, who did no miracle, is greater than Elijah? I don't understand that. But now I do. And I'm going to tell you, and it's so simple. John the Baptist introduced to the world the person of Jesus Christ. Who preached the greater message? Daniel or John the Baptist? Who did the greater feat and the greater service to this earth? Elijah or John the Baptist? John the Baptist, Pastor. John the Baptist. He introduced the person of Jesus Christ to the world. Now, John the Baptist never saw the crucifixion, but the church did. John the Baptist never experienced Pentecost, but the church did. John the Baptist never saw the ascension of Jesus Christ, but the church did. John the Baptist was not called to go into the world and preach the gospel. The church was. So therefore, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven, which is the church, is greater than John the Baptist. Do you understand what I'm saying? Only the church, like John, has the right to say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, this great and greatest of prophets, in his life, as you know, I'm not going to go through the whole story, he experienced doubt. He, after introducing Jesus to the world with certainty and assertion and authority, sometime after that goes and says about Jesus, is it he who we're looking for? Or should I be looking for another? And the answer that Jesus' disciple, Jesus sent to John, you tell him what you see. Blind eyes are open, the lame walk, the dead are raised, demons are cast out, and the, pre and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. John doubted. Why? Well, what caused him to doubt is the same thing that causes so many of us to doubt. Number one, difficult situations. Where do we get the idea, if I'm a good boy or a good girl, and I love God with all of my heart, and if I serve him and obey him in all things, I'm not going to have any difficulties. Where does it say that in the scripture? I heard one pastor say this, and I love it. He says, the church of Jesus Christ was not born in Mayberry. The church of Jesus Christ was born by the blood of the martyrs. It was born in the upper room by the Holy Ghost. It was born through trials and tribulations. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
but the Lord our God delivers us out of them all. Don't doubt that. It's scripture. So there's a national revival going on, and John the Baptist is in a prison cell. Blind eyes are being opened, and I'm in jail. The dead are being raised, and I'm in jail. Lepers are being cleansed, I'm in jail. Deaf ears are being... I'm in jail. This, this doesn't make sense. I've served God faithfully. I've not compromised one bit, and I'm in jail. Difficult situations do not mean you missed God. And don't you believe anyone that says different. Paul, the, the apostle who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else, um, he received stripes, whippings, above measure. Frequent stays in prison. Five times he received 39 stripes. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned once and he was shipwrecked three times. Oh my God. I look at your beautiful faces and I'm like, these, these things are so alien to us. Okay, he was beaten, you know, with, my God, if we were beaten half one time, we'd probably be screaming, you know, God isn't with me anymore. God hates me, like little brats. I'm going through something unpleasant. God isn't with me. That's the way we'd react today. So difficult circumstances do not mean that God is not with us. Romans 8.35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It means that all these things, because they may happen in your life, it doesn't mean that you are separated from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. <clears throat> Trying to explain the ways of God by carnal understanding and reasoning can only lead to doubt, which leads to frustration, which leads to failure. John couldn't figure out why he was in jail. But here's what Jesus said. And many times, uh, I need to hear this from the Lord, and many times, you know, who's that girl back there yawning? Hey, act interested. I'm teasing you, honey. <laughs> Jesus said to John, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. What does that mean? It means blessed is he who does not get upset in the way I do things. My ways are much different than your ways. Who can understand the mind of God? I can't. But he tells us, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. Affliction comes into everybody's life. The child, the immature child, oh, you don't love me anymore. Listen to what David says, Psalm 119, 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might, oh, that I might learn thy statutes. How many has ever gone through an affliction and said, oh, this is good for me? <laughs> Psalm 119, 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. If God, or I shouldn't say if God, when God allows affliction to come into our lives, he does it 
in faithfulness. So because you're going through a difficult situation, it doesn't mean that God isn't with you. A second reason for doubt. False expectations. It's a big one. I live in Port St. Lucie, and next door to me I have a neighbor, uh, a man who has a wife that is a uh, paraplegic. She's been in a wheelchair over 30 years, and he takes care of her. And, you know, we chit-chat, hey, Paul, how you doing? Oh, Met one last night, and so on and so forth. Okay. One day, he comes to me in a parking lot, and he says, uh, he says, can I come over to your house? I'd like to talk to you about God. Yes, Paul, of course. My wife is there. Yes, you come over, we'll have dinner for you. My wife made these tacos, you know, and so, you know. Now, this was, let's just say, around a Tuesday. He's going to come over on a Friday. And I'm saying, oh, God, to myself, oh, God, this guy, you put a hunger in his heart. He's going to bring over his crippled wife. <gasps> oh, God, if you just pull her out of the wheelchair, whoa, revival will start in this very community. Oh, my God, we'll have a church in two weeks. If the people who knew this woman for over 20 years that they've been living there, you know, <sighs> oh, God, yes, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, yes, yes, yes. Lord, anoint me, God. Let me say the right thing. Friday night comes. We had a great meal. And all he talked about was his experiences in the church that he used to be a part of as a kid. Nothing miraculous, nothing earth-shaking, and, and I was okay with that. But had I wanted to believe, oh, God, this is what God's going to do, and it didn't happen, you get frustrated. I... This is the very thing that happened to the Lord. Hosanna to the king, king coming in. He's going to deliver us from the Romans. He's going to restore Israel to the glory that it had under Solomon's day. It's going to be wonderful. Hosanna to the king. That was a false expectation. And when it didn't happen, what were they yelling three days later? Crucify him. Kill this fraud. They had false expectations. People have false expectations about God and people have false expectations about themselves. That's why the Bible tells us, don't anybody think of yourself higher than you ought. Because false expectations lead to doubt, which leads to unbelief, which leads to failure. Is that true? <clears throat> The carnal mind is replete with false expectations. Now, let me tell you something else. The carnal mind dictates or loves to dictate terms to God. Matthew 12, 39. Uh, Jesus said, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given except the sign of the prophet Jonas. Okay. Religious people presume to tell God what sign they want in order for them to believe in God. Come down from the cross, and we will believe. Was that said to Jesus as he hung there dying? Lord, you let me win that $142 million Powerball? And I will believe. 
even an apostle fell into this trap, Thomas, unless I put my hand into the holes of his hands and feet and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe until that happens. And the gracious Christ gave him the opportunity to eat his words, which is exactly what he did. And in all shame and humility, he gets on his knees and he says, my Lord and my God, a saying that was reserved only for the emperor of Rome. We have to play by God's rules. You know why? Because he's God and we're not. It's that simple. To tell God or to dictate to God what it's going to take to get you to do his will is presumption and arrogance and pride and every other vile thing that the human heart is capable of. Romans 12.3. Oh, I said that already. I didn't quote it, but I said it. Uh, Hebrews 4.12. This is where Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit. Get this. The dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Your soul is your intellect your logic, your understanding. It has to be divided asunder from your spirit. The two can't mix. Faith is not soulish. It is spiritual. And when we try to wrap our minds around a circumstance that just doesn't make sense to us, doubt happens. Brother Tim Ware, how many in here love them? Yeah, every hand in the place. I love him. I always will love him. I cannot think of one good reason why God should have taken him. It doesn't make sense. He could have done as he always always have done, contribute to this body, in a various number of ways, love on you, help you. The man was a godly man. Why, Lord, did you have to take him? I don't know. But I believe Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. But God, this hurts. This is painful. I know. Just believe. Don't try to understand. Cast, let your understanding be cut asunder from your faith. Just believe me. Trust me. There's a scripture in Isaiah. To whom does the Lord give meat? To whom does the Lord, you know. uh, It says, those who are weaned from the breasts. Now, David said in one of his psalms that I I am as a weaned child. A weaned child, if 
feels betrayed. Mama, you have fed me. I don't know. What's the age of weaning? I know in the Bible it's much longer than that. All right, just say five years old, four years old, whatever. You have fed me, mother, all of these years. You have nourished me. I depend on you for my very life. And here you are. You just, you just leave me cold, cold turkey. You don't love me. You never did love me. How can you do this to me if you love me? <coughs> That's the way a weaned child feels. When we go through difficult situations, though we may not have the audacity to say it to God flat out, you don't love me. How many of you thought it in your hearts? You know, God really doesn't love me the way I was always taught he did, because if he did, he'd never allow me to go through stuff like this. That's just human nature, you see? But we ought to take comfort. God, by his grace, doesn't expect us to understand everything he does. He just wants us to believe that everything he does, without exception, is for our good. Don't ask me how. How could this be for my good? I don't know, but I believe that it is. Abraham staggered not at the promise. The man is a hundred years old. The Bible says he didn't consider the deadness of his own body, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. He never gave it a second thought. He just knew, I'm going to be the father of many nations. Why, Abraham? Why did you think that? Because God spoke it to me. Abraham had the unchangeable word of God. Because God spoke to me, I don't care what the circumstances are, I don't care if the world comes to an end, I will be the father of many nations. Because God said, now people who believe things that they want to believe without God speaking it to them, beloved, that's presumption. And we all have to do that because presumption puts us in control of God. I am believing for a new car. Hallelujah. God's going to give me a new car. I'm believing. I'm confessing. Michael, Pastor Michael, God is going to give me a new car. I'm confessing it. My car has 264,000 miles in it, on it. I'm ready for a new car. But I ain't confessing it until God, he's going to keep this one going until he speaks to me. I'm going to get you a new car. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? So unmet expectations lead one into doubt and into disobedience and uh, leads one to failure. So Abraham, the Bible says, Romans 4.1, he was fully persuaded that what God had promised him, he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed. That's all he did. And God imputed to him as righteousness. Uh, again, I repeat the scripture. Blessed are those whosoever shall not be offended in me. I want to go back for a minute to John the Baptist. If any man deserved to be an apostle, it was John the Baptist. I'm the one who introduced Jesus to the world. I was faithful, faithful in all things. And what does this man do? He chooses a bunch of dumb fishermen and thieving tax collectors to be, his, to be his apostles. 
No, 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 something's wrong. Nothing was wrong. John, Life Church, don't be offended in the way God does things. Lastly, the last thing that leads us to doubt, limited perception. We cannot see it all no matter how hard we try. Please settle that truth in your heart. We can't see it all. We live in time. We can see the past. We can see the present. We can only guess about the future. God lives in eternity. And eternity is something that nobody can define. We like to think about it as time without end. But it's not. That's not eternity. Eternity has no beginning, has no end. You understand? So we really can't understand what eternity is. But God does. So don't try and get your head wrapped around the way God does things because our perception is limited. <clears throat> oh, here's the scripture I was looking for, Isaiah 28, 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Then that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. We went through that. Now when... Note that Jesus described John, or John described himself when he was there, who are you? By the scriptures. He quoted Isaiah 40, verse 3, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And beloved, Jesus introduced John the same way, by the scriptures. And the scriptures for us are a more sure word of prophecy. You believe that? That's what the Bible says. So the study and the knowledge of the scripture is going to help us get through times of doubt. We sang a song this morning, Sister Dietra let us in. Uh, you know, he's faithful. and Yes, he can't be anything else but because he doesn't change. He's not faithful to you in the good times and then in the bad times he's not faithful to me anymore. We're just a bunch of whiners, aren't we? God help us. Uh, be confident, that means don't doubt, of this very thing. He that hath begun the good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Does it say you will perform it? It says he will perform it. He knows how to work things in our lives, saints. He made us. He knows every bit of what we are. He knows how to deal with each and every one of us. And he will finish the work that he started in us don't doubt it. I finish with a story you've all, heard, you've all heard. Peter was walking, Peter was seeing Jesus walking on the water. And Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. I'm going to rephrase that. Lord, if that's you, give me the word to come. What did Jesus say? Come. Peter gets out of the boat, and what does he do? Walks on the water. There he is, walking on the water just like his Savior. Enter the carnal mind. And he saw the wind, that it was boisterous and violent, you know, and, uh, and he began to sink. Wait a minute. I can't be walking on the water. 
especially in a storm. How is this possible? And he started to sink. And as he was sinking, oh, here's a, this is a beautiful prayer. Three words. What do you say, Pastor? Lord, help me. And immediately, Jesus took him by the hand and pulled him up. And then what did Jesus say to him? Oh, ye of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? It was his doubt that made him sink. And accepted Jesus. And how many know, in spite of our doubts, Jesus will always save us. We are going to make it because he's faithful. Not because we're faithful, because he's faithful. Beloved, don't doubt it. Doubt is your enemy. You got a word from God, you just believe it like Abraham did, and it will be reckoned unto you as righteousness. Amen? God bless you. Love you. Thank you for having me, Pastor Mike. And all yours.